This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm crazy grateful for all of you who subscribe, share, and leave reviews. If this is your first time, welcome to the Elevate community. Like our home church, Living Word, I and the Elevate leaders work as hard as we can to build an atmosphere of love to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. It would mean the world to us if you helped us get the word out by sharing this episode on social media. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. What is up, Elevate? Oh, come on. You got to get more than that. What is up, Elevate? All right. You don't have to yell for me, but we're about to yell for Jesus. Are you ready for this? All right, ready? One, two, three. Elevate! Jesus! Elevate! Jesus! Absolutely. All right, so we are kicking off our Little Black Book series. We're going to open with these goofy videos every week because Studio C is awesome. Are you ready to begin? As I'm going to just jump right into this thing, my hope for tonight is that you will be ruined on every love story, love song, movie, TV show, when your friends are talking, it's just going to seem so shallow to you because your understanding of love will have been so flipped over into something that has value and meaning and depth and that is lasting. So you're ready to begin. I'm going to open with a simple question. And it's a question that we're going to open with over and over and over again. And it's simply this. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to have the marriage you have always dreamed of? So that seems like a strange question when I'm asking teenagers, because a lot of you guys have probably never actually spent a lot of time thinking about what kind of marriage would I like? What would a healthy marriage look like? How could I begin to plan for that now at 13, 14, 15, 16? That may be a strange question to you, but despite many of you guys maybe not thinking about what a future marriage might look like, you're still probably dabbling with and or jumping into romantic relationships. So we've got to, isn't it kind of foolish to begin a journey and not have a clear destination in mind? Maybe that's why so many of your friends' relationships are failing. Heartbreak and depression and everything is because they're plunging into a journey of maturity and love and depth and meaning before they even have a destination in mind. So let's begin. First of all, I want to say that I've got to get off the pedestal. This series is coming from like six different books and a whole bunch of really smart teachers and wise people that are in my life. There's like almost none of it that's actually me. And so this is not just like good ideas from Dom. This is going to be scripture, 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 and a whole lot of wisdom from other people. And I can give you a list of those books if you want. One of those books is the one that we're selling in the snack shop, the title series the series title book. Whenever you go to a movie or a TV show or whatever, usually you have like this great kind of chick flick series of events, right? There's always like the first encounter between the guy and the girl. Maybe it's the first glance. Many times it's under not ideal situations where they don't even like each other at first. And then you start seeing sort of the heat build, right? Things are start, sparks are going off. You start seeing some chemistry happen between the characters. And then every chick flick I think that I've ever seen Somewhere after you think like, wow, this is really starting to work well, something bad happens. And you're like, there's no way they'll ever get together. And then towards the end, like in the last 10 minutes, one or both of them decide to do this really selfless, drastic thing 
you know, they go chasing a taxi down the road or they're, you know, waving down a plane on the runway or something. And then they get together and it's like, yay, the end, roll credits, right? The cultural definition of love that we have been served our whole lives was basically this. It's having powerful, happy feelings towards somebody, right? Isn't that what's always offered us? You hear songs that say things like, these feelings are so strong, it just must be love. How could I feel this way about somebody and it not be whatever that mystical thing called love is? And we've just been fed this over and over and over and over again, and we've bought it. But I'd like to take that idea of love, and I'd like to put it on trial for a couple minutes. Because if that is love then we're going to have to test it before we're willing to commit to it, right? So let's put it on trial. Let's hold it to the light and see if this thing has any holes in it. Now, the ultimate commitment between a man and a woman out of what we hope is love is marriage, the lifelong commitment to to love each other, right? Well, before the 21st century even rolled around, divorce was already at 52%. That's like, oh, wonderful, we'll make it. There it is, 52% success rate for marriage. And I found this article from Time Magazine just a week or two ago, and I found it very, very interesting. And guess what? The numbers are changing. They're even changing for the better. I found this so fascinating. Time Magazine, and I'm going to jump through this. Experts now put your chances at divorce at about 39% in the United States. This sounds like such promising news. It's like, yes. Maybe people are starting to discover what love is. Maybe they're starting to have an enduring emotion of happiness for people. Maybe they're starting to unlock the secrets. Maybe things are getting better, right? The drop in divorce statistics seems to be, in large part, due to millennials. Yay! That's the first good thing ever said about millennials. One recent study says that compared to their 2008 counterparts, as in in people of the same age 10 years ago, 2008, Young people in 2016 were 18% less likely to divorce. All right. So have millennials cracked the code on having and holding as long as they both shall live? Not exactly. Because cohabitating, as in living together, not married, is becoming a norm in most westernized countries. In 2018, get this, 15% of folks between 25 and 34 lived with an unmarried partner. That is up 12%. So from, t- from 3% of people between those ages living together unmarried to 15% in 10 years. So what's happening is not that marriage is lasting. It's that less people are getting married. So we have to understand, like, okay, let's take this idea of love. Let's hold it up against the light and say, is it working? And what, what happens is that people are not only getting divorced all the time, but they're actually the idea of marriage being a good thing is eroding itself because they're so busy blaming an institution of marriage instead of taking responsibility for their marriage. Are you following me yet? That's sort of like having a really nice car, but you give it away because you ran it out of gas. Someday, if you're married and your marriage isn't doing so well and life looks greener on the other side of the fence, log this away. Water your lawn. If the grass is greener on the other side. So love, as the culture defines it, is failing. 
And whenever you have your 14-year-old friend, they say, we love each other. That kind of love is failing. Every classic rock song, dang, I love classic rock. It's failing. And we've been fed this all of our lives, and yet it doesn't last. It doesn't hold water, whatever that saying means. We need to relearn what we know about love. Maybe a good place to start would be to learn from love himself. And so we're going to dig into scripture here in a couple of minutes, but let's check this out. 1 Corinthians 13, you've already know this verse, but we're going to take a look at it. We're going to start in verse 1 and then going to jump to 4 through 8a. And you've heard it before, you've heard it from me a bunch of times, but let's take a look. Paul opens with this thought. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Let me see. I'll tell you how long this lasts. Oh, I don't want to step on that guitar. All right, here you go. Ready? It sounds pretty strong, right? And then it teeters into nothing until it's gone. Maybe that seems pretty similar to a lot of relationships that you've seen. They start off, and they fizzle into nothing. But true love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on having its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Another translation says that love never ends. How can the Bible boast such an impossible statement? Impossible in the world that we live in, unless we don't understand what love is. And we've been classifying something else as love. Because according to Scripture, according to love himself, who is God-breathed into Scripture, Love doesn't fail. So everywhere we look, love seems to be failing. There's divorces and breakups and crushed hearts, depressions, suicides. Love seems to be failing. So I want to ask two tough questions. We're going to come around and answer these. The first one is, why does love seem to fail? We're going to spend a lot of time on that one. And the second one seems unrelated, but it's going to really lock in. Why does God's love for us seem distant? To begin... Our culture has taken love, and love has been romanticized, it's been sexualized, and ultimately it's been lobotomized. What I mean by that is that love has been equated to these romantic feelings, these powerful emotions, this chemistry in the brain that just drives you nuts, and it's not like anything maybe you've felt before, and it's been connected with hearts and Valentine's Day and first glances and sparks going off. It's been so put on a pedestal to say, this is what love is is these big feelings. And then it's been sexualized. Our society has totally communicated to us that, that it's through sex that two people make a connection, and it's sex that holds the commitment together. How many movies where the man or the, girl, the, the guy or the girl die in the end, did they have sex the night before? Because that's a, a speed way of the movie saying they really love each other. This is over and over and over again. We're being communicated this. It's being fed to us. We're being brainwashed that it's through big feelings and it's through a physical connection with someone that we can recognize what love is 
We can identify who the person is that we love. And ultimately, when you have romanticized it and sexualized it, you've removed its very strength. You've lobotomized it. You've taken away everything of value, of lasting importance. I love this. This is the cultural love cycle that we see in the world around us. And it's so simple. And you can watch this happen over and over and over again. Watch your friends. I hope, I hope it's not you all the time because you're going to get smart. You're going to start walking in some wisdom. But this is the cycle that we see all the time. Number one, people fall in love. Two, they have this season of everything is great. Three, that love seems to fade, right? Love fades. Four, one or both people become frustrated and unhappy. They eventually break up. There's pain, depression. One, the realization, they have this realization of like, you know what? That just wasn't the right person for me. I'm going to decide how they were wrong for me, and then I'm going to find someone with those missing pieces. So they realize a personal need for their next partner, and they try again. They, they rebound, right? Let's take a look at this. Are they up there? Go ahead and just put them all up at the same time. Let's take a look at this pattern and see if we can read between the lines a little bit. What if number one was simply them having really strong feelings? Feelings that, that just swept them off their feet, right? Or maybe they got physical really fast, and they're equating this as love. And then they have this, this season of everything is great, kind of like this honeymoon period, right? But then this level of feelings that was so big and so exciting, it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable over a long period of time. And so it begins to wane. And both people start saying, it's your job to make me have those feelings. Those feelings that told me that I love you. Those feelings that, that told me that you love me. You have to keep those feelings alive for me or we're not in love anymore. Are you following me so far? Give me a nod. Let me know you're on track with me. So each partner in this love begins to look to the other person, to pull from the other person, to say, I need you to give me those big feelings. My needs aren't being met. I'm not having those big, exciting firework feelings from the beginning. So both become frustrated. And then there's a breakup, there's pain, depression, and they rationalize it by saying it's the other person's fault. They didn't give me what I needed. And what do they do? They rebound. So where in this pattern do we see patience, kindness, humility, support, trust, endurance? Where in this pattern is there love? In fact, what we see in this pattern is selfishness. Think about this. How many times have you heard someone say, I don't know if I love them or not, and what's the question the person always asks that they're talking to? They say, do they make you? How many times have you heard that? Do they make you? You hear the root? It's just selfishness. Do they make you happy? Do they make your world better? That's the person you got to be with. It's just self. This, that's what that pattern is. It's a cycle of selfishness. I hope I'm peeling back layers. I hope you're going, what? I never caught that before. Here you go. Wake up. I need you not to miss this next point. And you can ask Pat, biology teacher Pat, for years. In your anatomy, the same chemicals, the same hormones, the same everything in the brain is the exact same for infatuation and for love. Right or wrong, Pat? So you cannot tell by what's going on in your brain, by the excitement and the emotions and the feelings, if it's love or infatuation. You can't tell. 
Ooh, infatuation. Infatuation is when you're so emotionally excited about someone that you don't even think clearly. You're just stuck on them. It's whenever you have a friend, they get a girlfriend, and they bail on you. And you're like, well, I thought we were friends. That's infatuation. Thank you, Elijah. So if we're getting the same chemicals, the same hormones in our brain, whether it's love or infatuation, how on earth are we supposed to recognize love? Why can't we depend on our emotions? Why can't we depend on our hearts? Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful. It lies to you above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the minds. Your feelings can be very real and they can be very wrong at the same time. Strip back this thing that society has called love. If the commitment in a relationship stands on feelings and feelings fade, how could there ever be a lasting commitment? We treat God like that sometimes, don't we? God, I'll serve you as long as I'm having these mountaintop feelings. That's just a side note. In talking about love and how We will chase our feelings. We'll try to base a commitment on our feelings. Consider the terminology that we use. I fell in love. I was swept off my feet. Are you you hearing that? Like, what that is saying is, I was a passive participant. It happened to me. I was just walking along one day. I fell in. I had no say. Do you hear how dangerous that is? I didn't have a choice. I was a victim of love. It just happened. All this means is I am simply with someone I feel emotional about. Is that scary or what? If we're going to say we fell in love, it just happened to me. I have these super strong feelings, and that's why I know it's real. All you're saying is I am simply committing myself to someone I feel emotional about. That's scary. That's fickle. That's frail. I got a silly video. Check this out. Think of his description. How does he know that he likes her? Colors have lost taste. Life just doesn't seem like it has as much as much value anymore. That's just crazy feelings. Obviously, there's a connection, but it's just a passive thing. It's something that just happens to you. Check this out. And I really want to get serious for a minute because I care about you guys so much. Girls, pay attention to me. This may be one of the few times I get a chance to just speak into your lives, but please hear me. Emotions cannot be the test of love. The commitment for a relationship has to stand on something more than feelings. I have seen girls over and over and over again try to elicit feelings from a guy by playing on his emotions. They'll try to get a commitment out of a guy that he'll stick around by maybe always being the damsel in distress. What I mean by that is you're always in the situation that you're just needy. Life is always upside down, and it's always terrible, so you just need someone to cry on all the time. And it makes him feel like he's the knight in shining armor, and it makes him feel awesome. And that maybe playing on those emotions is what gets him to stick around. I've known 
I've known so many girls that are willing to give themselves away sexually because they're hoping that this will, this will seal his commitment to them. And so these girls are sacrificing so much because they're trying to build commitment on feelings. They're trying to elicit feelings. So they're fighting so hard for something that doesn't last. They're willing to give away so much for something that is fickle, empty, and temporary. Oh, it just, just wrecks my heart. Girls, you will not know love by your feelings. And you will not be able to tie someone in by their feelings. At some point, we can end up worshiping emotions, going from one relationship to the next one, just trying to keep that high, trying to keep those emotions going, and we have abandoned wisdom and the Holy Spirit. What is love if it's not a feeling? Let's go back to the beginning. Genesis 1, 28. And God blessed them. Talking about man and woman. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I get, I love this. Subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God gives man and woman the gift of strength and free will for the purpose of them to go out and dominate life, to go out and grab life by the, by the horns and thrive in it. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, those strong feelings are, quote, something that happened to us, staying in love is something we do. God gave us the power, and he gave us the power to choose. And I will define love. This is how scripture defines love, and I'll unpack it in here in a few minutes, but I want this to just soak into your brain. Tattoo this on your heart. The definition of love is simply this, a commitment to choose someone. Nope, you're not going to find that on a Valentine's Day heart. But if you'll stick with me, I promise that there is more value, depth, and romance in this idea than there ever was in the fireworks feelings of love that culture is trying to show us. The definition of love is a commitment to choose someone. It's not something that just happens to us or something we feel. It's something we choose. This is, yes, a romantic partner. This is also when you choose to love your friend that hurts you, to choose to love your mom that frustrates you, to choose to love your enemy that you can't stand being around. Love is choosing someone. Love is saying, I choose you despite circumstances, despite feelings, despite personal sacrifices. Do you hear the stability in that? Do you hear something in that that is unmoving? Do you hear something in that that's beautiful and attractive? I choose you no matter what. And here's the good news. Wake up now. Don't miss this part. Please, 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 please don't miss this. Because if love, if I'm right, if scripture is right, if love is the power to choose, then it gives you the power to choose wisely. Please don't miss this. This would revolutionize your life. If you will lock this in, you will save yourself from divorce. You will save yourself from messy breakup after messy breakup in high school and college. Please grab a hold of this. The next seven weeks, you're going to stand on this principle. If God has given you the power to choose, then you have the power to choose wisely. Why do smart people get involved with partners that are abusive, manipulative, and cheat on them? Why? 
Why are smart people? Because those smart people saw those anger outbursts ahead of time. They saw those red flags. They, they knew about the porn addiction, but because of their feelings, they thought that was love, so they committed to someone that they never should have been with. If you have the power to choose, if love is that power, you have the power to choose wisely. Please tie this into your hearts. Please hear me. This is going to change everything for you if you'll lock it into your soul. But it gets even better. Because if love is a commitment to choose someone, then what does the phrase, I love you, mean? What you say about somebody else actually defines you. It implies something about you. If I said that you are a student, how have I defined myself? You're a student, so I'm the... If, if I say you're the son or daughter, that makes me the... If I call you my friend, that makes me your... All right. So if you are saying... This is so beautiful. Pay attention. If you're saying, I commit to choose you only, then I am also saying, I commit to be only yours. To set myself apart to be yours. Are you following me? The phrase I love you says, I choose you and I set myself apart from everyone else to be only yours. The Song of Solomon 6.3 says, and it's so brief and so beautiful, I am my beloved's, and my beloved's is mine. This is why you shouldn't say I love you too quickly. Because I love you is a verbal promise. It's a statement of commitment, and it should never be spoken lightly. Jackie and I waited till we knew that we were going to marry each other before we were willing to say it. We knew what we were saying, that there was power in those words, that there's commitment in the words, I love you. I choose you. I set myself apart to be yours. Think of the implications here. Let's say that a Christian teen, maybe one of you guys, makes a commitment to only have sex with their spouse. Consider that. It's a brief, small concept. It's so easy. But I want to take what we've just discussed about what love means and take a look at this picture. This means, don't miss this, it's so cool. This means that They are choosing only their future spouse. And out of that commitment, they are setting themselves apart from everyone else for only their future spouse. How beautiful is that? That's better than a hundred don't have sex because of STDs conversations. How beautiful is it that you get to look them in the eyes someday and say, I'm only yours. I've chosen just you. That is a foundation of a lasting relationship, a lasting marriage. If what I'm talking about is love, then it has three indisputable traits. I'll defend them in a little bit, but I'm going to go ahead and lay them out there for you. The first one is this. Love is sacrifice, and it's nothing less than that. That is what love is. Love is a position reversal. It's saying, I choose you over myself. So it's always sacrifice. It is always a giving of self for the benefit of the other. The second is that love will always decrease distance. It always does. Consider the Good Samaritan story. You have this guy wounded and bloody and unconscious, and two people, what, make a wider gap around him. The third one crosses the street and closes the distance. How do we see love? Love decreases distance. And the third one is that love is unconditional. Unconditional. 
from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, thin or fat, sweet or ugly, I choose to love and to cherish you till death do us part. These are your tests for what love looks like. Not do they make you happy. Love is sacrifice. Love decreases distance. Love is unconditional. That's a love that never fails. So what can love stand on? If an emotional commitment won't last, what can a choice commitment stand on? What can there be between two people that will sustain for a lifetime? Hold on to that question. What can la- what can- will last between two people that will last a lifetime? Take that question. Back pocket. We're coming back to it. We're going to take a minute and cover my very favorite subject. We're going to talk about God, the one who changed my life, the one who rules the universe and somehow loves us at the same time. God has, if you were here last Wednesday, you've heard this, two predominant traits that he's revealed to us. The first one is that God is love. Remember what love means, a commitment to choose. 1 John 4, 8 through 9. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. God so chose you that he sent his only begotten son. Are you following me? God defines love using himself because he is the originator of love. His very character chose you. You and you and you and you. The second trait about God is that God is holy. And I want to unpack holiness. I want you to understand what holiness means. Holiness means set apart. That's it. It doesn't mean clean. It doesn't mean, you know, really pretty. Holiness holiness means set apart from everything else. It could mean, does your mom have special china that she only breaks out like twice a year? And it's like behind glass somewhere or way up on this top shelf. And if you, I mean, if you, she caught you eating Fruit Loops out of it in the morning, she'd like lose her mind. That's because those dishes are set apart. Keep listening. They're set apart for a purpose. That's what holiness means. Set apart for a purpose. This is what Isaiah had a vision of heaven, and he hears the angels singing 24-7, if there's such thing as ours in heaven, and this is their song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So out of God's love come his mercy, his kindness, his grace, his forgiveness, and out of his holiness, out of his set-apartness, set apart from evil, set apart from everything that is rebellious against him. Out of that holiness, he is wrathful against sin. He is a just God deciding what is right and what is wrong. Watch this. John 15, we read 12 through 14, then we're going to jump to 16a. I love this. Jesus is talking. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Verse 16, you did not choose me. I chose you. No greater love than someone would lay down their life for someone else. Why? Because Jesus chose you. Isn't that beautiful? Romans 5, 7 through 8. 
For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ chose us. And so God, who is himself set apart, God chose us and he set himself apart for the cross for us. Real love is the very nature of God and it expresses his relationship with us. Is that beautiful or what? Are you still with me? Are you still with me, Elevate? Because this is good stuff. This is great. Yeah, Jesus is great. Hebrews 8, 10. And this is said throughout the whole Bible. As you're reading scripture, you're going to find this over and over again. For the, God is speaking. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. That's God's people. That's us. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them in their hearts. And I, check this out, I will be their God and they will be my people. You hear that? I am theirs and they are mine. I am my beloved's. My beloved is mine. You hear this this theme, this consistency of God's character and how he loves, chooses you and sets himself apart to be yours. Isn't this great? So not only is he the originator, but he's also the ultimate example. Love is sacrifice, nothing less. 1 John 4.10, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice. Love decreases distance. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Remember what Jesus did? Remember, he crosses the sea to find one demon-possessed guy? Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I'm going to your house. Jesus was always decreasing distance. Peter's sinking in the water. It's Jesus that decreases the distance over and over and over and over again. And then ultimately at the cross, the whole purpose of his mission was to bring his people back to himself so that we could be made holy, set apart from the rest of the world to belong to our Father who loves, who chooses us. We know he chose us because he sacrificed, he closed the distance, and he gave himself unconditionally. All right, so let's go back to the questions. Pull it out. If not feelings, what can we anchor the commitment of love in? What can it stand on that is lasting? Here's the answer if you haven't figured it out already. We choose to base our relationship on who God is, who is everlasting love. And you're like, yay, that's so abstract. I have no idea what to do with that. Good. It's about to get better. Yeah, it's abstract. How do we base a relationship on God? Matthew 22, 35 through 39. Three words just totally wrecked me. Jesus is talking, and this one guy wants to try to, like, trick Jesus, right? Try to shut him down. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. As in, you choose God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. You set yourself apart to be his. This is the greatest and first commandment. Please pay attention. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Notice the relationship that you will have with the people around you will reflect the love that you already have for God. Are you following me yet? Is that clicking? Is that making sense? As in, we choose Jesus and set ourselves apart for him. We build our relationship vertically. And God doesn't just 
sprinkle love into our lives between us and somebody else. No, no, no. Love is not an abstract idea to God. We love God first, and God gives us himself through us to the other people in our lives, to your friends and families, to the person that you don't talk to very much, to your enemy. That's the only way that we could love our enemies, guys, is if the person who hung on a cross and said, Father, forgive them, is living in us. That is real love. So we offer up our frail, temporary, weak, fickle love to the creator of the universe. Romans 12.1, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, where? To God, which is your spiritual worship. And so we offer this, this frail love up to him. Here's my human love, God. It's all I've got. And he gives us himself back through us to other people. So how can you someday base a romantic relationship on the Lord? You love Jesus first. You make your whole world about Jesus. The very night that Jackie and I started dating, she taught me this. She told me that we would be like a triangle, that we'd be the two bottom points, and we'll both just pursue Jesus. And at some point, we're either going to meet and bypass, or we'll meet and walk together. And that is what a romantic relationship looks like. We're still in our triangle. We're still pursuing Jesus with all of our hearts, and we let him be the one that brings us closer together. I'm giving you gold, guys. This will rock your world if you'll just grab onto it. Pursue Jesus first. Make your relationship with him everything to you. And the second, priority number two, is going to reflect that love commitment. Patience, kindness. I want to give Jackie that kind of love. Your friends, your families, your enemies deserve that kind of love. Love is not an emotion. Feelings cannot be used to identify it. Real love is this. I choose you and set myself apart to be yours. Three immutable traits that are love. Love is sacrifice. Love decreases distance. Love is unconditional. God expressed his love for us perfectly through Jesus Christ. And when we pursue him, then the relationships in our lives will be enriched by his love. So let's go back to those tough questions. I hope they've already been answered for you. Why does love seem to fail? Because we confuse the feelings which are fickle with being love. Why does God's love for us seem distant? We've got two answers to that. God can't be in a relationship with you as long as you are choosing something or someone else. He can be love and holiness. He can choose you, but until you're willing to say, Jesus, I choose you, and I set myself apart from everyone and everyone, everything else to be only yours, he cannot have a relationship with you. That's how love works. Or the second thing, why does God's love seem distant sometimes? Maybe those of us who are Christians, maybe we often rely on feelings as an indicator of where our relationship with God is at. Maybe we come back from camp and we're like, God really loves me. We're so tight. And then two weeks later, we're like, eh, I guess we're not doing very well right now. I'm just not feeling the same. 
whenever Jesus says that he's never going to leave us or forsake us, when his Holy Spirit lives inside of us, when we walk with him, when he goes before us, he's our rear guard and he stands at our right hand. There's never been a break. What can separate us from the love of God? It's certainly not your feelings. God's love is not distant. So I have three challenges for you. Yep, three. I know, it's a lot. I've just like hit you with a fire hose of information. So I'd like you for your first challenge to get on iloveelevate.com, go to the podcast page and download these notes. You're going to see what I'm seeing, like all these super like detailed notes. Download them. Listen to this podcast. It's going to be uploaded tomorrow night. Listen to this podcast again. Try to absorb this stuff. The next seven weeks are going to stand on these principles tonight. The second challenge. Go through your week this week and start spotting all the false loves around you. In music, media, movies, and shows, and your friends, and everything. Begin to look around and go, how does this hold up against the definition of love according to Scripture? How does it hold up against those three traits of what I know love is now? Start spotting them. Start recognizing them. And the third one. This has nothing to do with a romantic relationship. This is just love itself. Pick someone you're going to express love to this week. Don't make it an easy one. Who are you going to express love to this week? Just, we're doing great on time. I hope I've wrecked love stories for you forever because I want your love story to be everything that God has for it to be. What are you willing to do to ensure that you have the marriage you've always dreamed of? How far are you willing to go? Are you willing to rewrite the story that's been told to you? Heavenly Father, (laughs) oh, how do you love us so much? Who are you, God, that you would choose us, that you would set yourself apart to be ours, that you'd be mindful of us? Who are you, God? Lord, it's such a mystery that just drives us to our knees. There's no response but to love you back, to offer up thanks and worship with every word, with every action, with every thought. Lord, thank you for being such a loving God. May we, your people, walk in love first towards you. And may we walk in love towards the people around us, empowered by your love through us. Thank you, Lord. For our e-group leaders, thank you for these students. Let this be seeds that are never pulled out of their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.